You're listening to Shaping Narratives, a collection of voices from West Michigan's communities of color. Brought to you by WGVU, NPR, and PBS in West Michigan, in the partnership with the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. The voice of today's episode is Alice Lynn, host of WGVU's Color Out Here, a show reshaping outdoor narratives for people of color. Raised in Brooklyn, New York, and educated in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, Alice talks to national experts about how people of color can safely and creatively enjoy the outdoors. Amanda E. Machado is a writer and facilitator who focuses on the intersections between race, gender, travel, and the outdoors. You can find her writing in publications like The Atlantic, The Washington Post, Slate, Harper's Bazaar, NBC News, Vox, The Week, Outside, REI Co-op Journal, Quartz, Sierra Magazine, Business Insider, and so many others. Uh, In addition to her essay writing, Amanda also facilitates workshops on justice and anti-oppression for organizations around the world. As a traveler, um, how had you previously connected to to that definition of, of place and the multiple narratives um, of place before before COVID happened? Yeah, um, well, I have just, the first few weeks of quarantine, I finished the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Kimmerer. Um, and there was this quote from that book that really hit me uh, really hard, which was uh, about Americans and settlers in the United States. And the quote was, the problem with these new people is that they don't have both feet on the shore. One is still on the boat. They don't seem to know whether they're staying or not. Um, And when I read that quote, it really hit me hard because it really felt like my experience in the United States as a first-generation American, as a daughter of immigrants, as someone who loves traveling and exploring. um, I really felt like that described me accurately as someone who never really put both feet on the shore, never really knew whether I was staying or not, was always kind of uh, trying to figure out where to move to next. Um, And I think I excused that a lot by saying that, you know, through all those identities and my love for travel, I thought that that was a normal normal way of being and a way of living. But I think after reading her book, it made me also think about the problems with that point of view or that way of living is that you don't actually ever get to connect with the land that you're on, right? And you don't build that kind of relationship uh, with land. And, you know, reading, like, literature from other travelers in the last few years who who kind of argue the same thing that traveling can also become it's like can become this addiction to novelty and this addiction to maybe not possessions or materialism but to like new experiences constantly and how that can also be problematic in its own way because it it kind of forces you to think of place as like this backdrop for your travels or for your adventure um, but not it doesn't allow you to connect to the place that you're actually in um, so before COVID happened, I think I, I allowed myself to continue traveling that way. And I think when COVID happened, it forced me to have to stay in one place and not travel anywhere. Um, that forced me to have to also reconsider what my relationship to land actually was. Awesome, awesome response. Um, so since the onset of COVID and you know sheltering in place, um, how has the inability to travel influenced the ways that you perceive the place that you've been living in these past few months that you've been kind of stuck in um, or sheltering in since, yeah, since the spring? Yeah, I think it's forced me to just notice, you know, I've had to 
be in the same place, see the same view outside my window, see walk around the same blocks. So I notice things more often and I'm observing more more clearly. Um, and even before COVID had happened, I facilitated a workshop with Pinat, who's the co-founder of Queer Nature. Um, and they taught me this practice of introducing yourself to land whenever they first enter a space, they tell the land why they're there, they um, thank it for allowing them to stay there before leaving, they say thank you again and goodbye. Um, and I just love this practice, but hadn't really incorporated it into my life um, until COVID happened. That's when I realized, like, every day I'm waking up with the same land, you know, being in this space. Um and saying hi to it, as silly as that might sound, um, build, it's the way to build a relationship with it, right? Um, thanking land for allowing you to be there. Um, instead of taking it for granted, which I think I had done before. Um, and as I said, just kind of like allowing it to just be like the backdrop of my adventures rather than actually building relationship. Um, so I had someone else I could facilitate with, Jose Gonzalez, he talks about this a lot too, about how the way we live now kind of sees nature as natural resources, right? Like, what can it do for us? What can it provide for us? Um, but instead, Pinata's exercise turns nature and land into not a resource for you as a human, but as something that you're building a relationship with and you're then engage with it in a different way. Um, so that's something I've really tried to do more of. It's still a continuing practice. It's something I still forget often. Um, but I think by forcing my life to stay in one place for probably the first time in a really long time. Um, COVID gave this gift of like making me realize that there's already so much going on right in front of me that I, I often ignore. Awesome. Um, and I'm going to uh, uh, improvise real quick here. Um, <laughs> I yeah, totally. I'd love to expand on that. But, um, can you speak a little bit to the sort of activities that you've done that have helped you um, or, you know, kind of facilitated that this evolved relationship to the place that you've been sheltering in um, and, and, you know, distancing in um, and, and in addition to what kinds of activities, even if it's just a walk, um, uh, what, what kinds of things have you noticed um, for the first time maybe, um, or seen differently, uh, like specific things that you maybe just hadn't, maybe hadn't stood out before? Yeah. Um, I think for the first time it might sound silly, but I downloaded this app on my phone that allows me to take pictures of the plants outside and find out what their names are and more details about them. Um, and so I've started actually doing that. I, I realized that, you know, I've lived in this the house I'm living in now. I've almost lived here three years and I still don't know the names of the trees outside or the flowers outside. Um, or on my block too, there's like a certain purple flower that I just see all over the Bay Area, um, but never knew what exactly the name was or never really knew the history of that flower at all. Um, and now being forced to like take the same walk around the same block and seeing the same flowers at the same time, um, yeah, it really gave me the time to to realize that I want to learn more about the natural things that are living in my space. And, you know, naming it is one way of doing that. But what I think is more important than the actual, like, scientific name or whatever name we gave it is more just knowing how to pay attention to it and how to differentiate it from everything else that's around it and know its history and know 
um, why why it's here in the Bay Area. Why why are we seeing these purple flowers everywhere? When do they bloom? Things like that. I think helped helped me build a relationship to land that I don't think I had beforehand. Um, I think also lately because of climate change and, and realizing how difficult things are getting. Um, I think I've started building that relationship with land as well. Like sometimes when I do clean out as exercise of going on a hike and starting the hike by introducing myself and saying, thank you. Sometimes I feel compelled to say, I'm sorry. also, And feel compelled to say like something as a human who is part of, you know, a system that's really damaging nature around us. Um, so sometimes I make that part of the exercise too, before I hike or when I come back from hiking, um, kind of talking to the land and making some commitment to myself that I'm going to do more to protect it and to take care of it. Um, and to continue within myself, realizing how much I can easily disconnect from it and how much I want to change that. Awesome. Um, thank you for sharing. Would you say that your, this again, kind of changing or evolving relationship that you have to place is then kind of, uh, I guess, in improving or I don't know if improving is the right word, um, enhancing or driving your your desire to um, protect and steward the planet um, more so? Do you feel like that relationship to place is, is there's intersection there with kind of um, natural the stewardship of natural resources and um, and protecting our, our planet more so absolutely yeah I think so um, I mean my entrance into the environmentalist movement what got me really passionate and activated by it was first just enjoying hiking and outdoor spaces in general and realizing that if I enjoyed these spaces so much I need to be protecting them. And that kind of was my entrance point, entry point into into the movement. Um, but now I think the new realization that I'm coming towards in these last few months is that even the hiking itself, you know, is a problematic viewing of nature, right? That nature is there to just provide you these beautiful views or these beautiful experiences, um, but not necessarily to provide a relationship with it. And I think that's what I, my new thinking on it that I'm really trying to explore more now is that if we're going to protect land, it's not only protecting it so that it can provide us with these beautiful experiences, but protecting it because it's something we need to be connected with in and of itself. Um, there's this book that Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz wrote. I was an indigenous people's history of the United States. Um, and she used this term in that book that I keep thinking about as well, which I've never heard about before, which was. U.S. populist imperialism, and it's this idea that um, U.S. imperialism is also driven by this idea that invading foreign land is rooted in this, like, heroic, adventurous intention, and reading that made me realize that a lot of my travels kind of had a little bit of that. I don't think I knew that consciously, but I do think in my life growing up in the United States, there was this idea that traveling and hiking and exploring is by nature, heroic and adventurous, and the intentions are always great, and there's nothing that could be problematic about that. Um, and I think now I'm trying, I'm trying to question that more and trying to think about how that has become a part of our culture here in the U.S. and how, in some ways, that prevents us from connecting to land in the, in the ways that I think now we need to. 
Yeah, I think um, that's great. And I've definitely been trying to internalize um, just the messaging to myself uh, every day that, you know, humans are nature. It's not humans and nature. Um, And, yeah, just to start to reprogram my brain to unlearn um, the ways that environmentalism, the U.S. environmentalist movement has kind of taught me to perceive nature as something other than and outside of myself. Um, and that, that, you know, makes it an it, right? As mm-hmm. kind of to your point about, you know, in, in breeding seatgrass, that the it versus um, someone, um, and reanimating, you know, giving animacy to, ob- to, to, um, to, to, to nature, to rocks, to trees, to insects, to animals, um, as opposed to referring them to them as it, uh, I think help is helping me to kind of reprogram. So, um, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel all of that. I also think that in that, I, I think, yeah, there's also this encouragement to kind of be rootless and to kind of be, um, yeah, just always exploring and always adventuring and always, you know, traveling to the new frontier. That's such a part of American mythology. Um, and I think growing up, I didn't really realize the harm in that. I just really liked it. I loved that it encouraged exploration and adventure, and that was the part of me that I always really loved. And I think now I'm trying to figure out how to balance that because I don't think that means that travel and exploration is inherently bad or negative or harmful. But like you said, the ways that the ways that we've talked about how we connect with land and how we explore and how we adventure, I think, have been at odds with, with the ways that we protect nature up until, you know, this point. Shaping Narratives, a collection of voices from West Michigan's communities of color, is brought to you in partnership with the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, a partner with communities where children come first. Want to hear more Shaping Narratives episodes? Download and subscribe at WGVU.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe if you get a chance. It helps us to know you're listening. Shipping Nervous is produced by WGVU, PBS and NPR in West Michigan, through the facilities of the Meyer Public Broadcast Center, a service of Grand Valley State University. Matt Gruppen processed all the audio, Joe Belenke edits each episode, Vansor designed our graphics and manages our web presence, Delane is our director of content. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and their guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of WGVU or Grand Valley State University.